There's an old Navajo saying, you can't wake a person who's pretending to be asleep. In the conversation about race and social justice, how does that feel to you guys? Hmm. Um, I certainly think it's it's true. And I, I, I resonate with the trueness of that. And what I've experienced in that is it's certainly been true in the people that I've tried to talk to about um, equity and racial justice and reconciliation and whatnot. How about you, Justine? I think the key word there is pretending. You know, mm. if you're pretending to be asleep, that's yes. proof and that's a sign that you know what it means to be awake, but you're making a choice to remain asleep. Now, on the flip side, there are people that are asleep and they're just very ignorant, right? So I think the key word there is pretense. That's really right. good. I think in, in my experience, that's the, that's the big thing that for a lot of people mm-hmm. in this conversation about race, yeah. there's just no way that you are completely blind and deaf mm. to the yeah. conversation. Yeah, especially now in 2020. Correct. Which, yeah. yeah, I land on the same thing. I land on the uh, pretending to be asleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how frustrating a conversation yeah. with someone who's pretending to, you know, not, uh, not, it's not that it's, they don't care. It's like they can, like some people can just opt out. Like, yeah. I don't really need to have this conversation. Correct. I don't really, yeah. you know, I can just yeah. go back to being me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's, yeah, that's good. And and I, I, I didn't even key in on that pretending part until you highlighted that, Justine. So I think if you're asleep now, mm-hmm. you're pretending to be like you're, you know, it's, you're being an ostrich, you're sticking your head down <laughs> in the ground, right? Or like you're being the kid who, you know, when kids are learning, um, I don't know what it's called, object permanence, whatever it's called. I think it's what it is in psychological terms. But when they close their eyes and they say, mm-hmm. now you can't see me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. yeah. So that's how I resonate with that. Greetings and what's good, everybody. Welcome to the Christian Soldier Podcast, a social justice, faith-minded podcast featuring three friends from across the diaspora exploring life at the intersection of race, ethnicity, gender, culture, politics, and basically living while black. I'm Abdullah Muhammad. I'm Andres Amador. And I'm Justina Kinney. And we are just three POC in the cornfield, living life, loving Jesus, and fighting the good fight in these rough and tumble podcast streets. Today's topic is episode two is uh, what about your friends? Okay. And it is discussing racism and social justice with white friends Mm -hmm. and white evangelical friends in particular or specifically from our context. So um, I do, I do want to say, because I don't think we covered it in the, in the last podcast, but because we love music, you you will find out if you haven't already picked it up in two episodes, which I'm guessing you haven't for listeners. But the titles of our episodes are titles of songs. And so mm-hmm. because we're music fans and whatever, and, you know, if we had unlimited budgets and could get sample clearances and that kind of thing, we would actually <laughs> be playing the snippets of the song. So, yeah. so the first episode was the um, Hi, My Name Is 
episode. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this episode is now the what about your friends episode. Um, mm-hmm. So hi, my name is being, you know, the, the, the song that Eminem introduced himself to the world through. And then the second one, mm-hmm. what about your friends is a TLC song from the nineties from, from the, from the R and B and hip hop group uh, TLC. So, um, and I think we did that. Maybe it's gimmicky. I don't know. But but because we think so much in terms of different things, music and, you know, movies and all that kind of stuff, uh, this just seemed like an engaging way in to the content for each episode. So I um, hope you guys enjoy it. So, yeah. So today we're talking about our friends can be just or people who consider themselves our friends can be just oh wait a minute troubling <laughs> mm-hmm. people that can consider your friends your, yourselves as friends yes people that consider mm-hmm. themselves your friends or people who you friends, yeah. consider that they're your friend and the reason yes, why that's, that's how i i thought about it that way yeah yeah wow so people who consider themselves your friends mm-hmm. yeah so we add that we add that caveat because I don't know about you guys, but I have seen some really, I, well, I have experienced, not just seen and witnessed, I've experienced and lived some really problematic things and really troubling things, really hurtful things, and to some extent, violent things that have happened when I have discussed the topic of um, justice and racism with my friends. And, mm-hmm. and I have found, I have found, um, I don't want to say this group is more problematic than that group, but what I have found is different groups have troubles and problems all their own, you know? Mm-hmm. So if I'm talking to some of my friends that are more on the politically conservative end of the spectrum, right? There are some things that happen there that we we know about generally, you know, just kind of about the conservative view of race and racism and that kind of thing and the whole meritocracy. And well, there's not really a such thing as racism. It really is about um, if you come and you work hard, you can, you can get opportunity, right? Cause this is America. Um, but yeah. Then there's also the other, the, the, the other, the other two pieces that I've interacted with most commonly. So there's that school of thought. Then there is um, progressives and liberals are also deeply, and I mean deeply troubling and problematic around the issues of race and racism because, because one of the narratives that's happened in our culture is that racism equals somebody who's not me. <laughs> and racism equals somebody, you know, racism mm-hmm. is evil mm. and racism is akin to owning slaves or calling somebody the n-word or um Mm -hmm. you know those kind of things right so Mm -hmm. and then you have the people who like the progressives who consider themselves woke and i hate the term but let's just use it for the sake of the conversation but who Mm -hmm. consider themselves woke and you know they've seen they've seen the movie 13th or they've read mm-hmm. Michelle Alexander's The New Jim Crow, or mm-hmm. you know, or they've white read fragility. they've read White Fragility, right? And so, and so, um, and and there are several other of those, you know, those books that that are also really good. Color of Compromise, Jamar Tisby's book is also a fantastic mm. book. Oh yes, um, there's one called The Color of Law. There's one um, Divided by Faith by Michael Emerson and Christian mm-hmm. Scott. You know, th- there mm-hmm. there are lots of really so people have read those books 
or how to be an anti-racist by Ibram Kendi or, mm-hmm. um, you know, stand from the beginning. So because they've absorbed all that content, you know, um, then they think they're, they're all right. Never mind the fact that they're right. still deeply racially problematic. And then the other group mm. is the Christians. Mm. These, these Christian folks and mainly these evangelical folks, boy, they are, quite frankly, they, they have been a bit of a mm-hmm. hot mess. So what do you mean by that? <laughs> well, I'll answer that, but, but you were going to say something a second ago. And I, I want you to get well, your, your thoughts. No, no. What I was going to say was like when, we, when you were talking about the, uh, the liberals who've read all the books and watched all the movies and can say all the right things, but then you're in Central Park and there's a bird watcher who's pointing out some things to you. Yeah. You pick up your, your, your phone and start dialing the police and start identifying the person as an African-American and you make the point that right. this person is African-American several mm-hmm. times and we turn out that, you know, you're an ally right. or, you know, you've voted a certain way, but the, the, that person has been, or those group of people have been discipled in a certain way that when push comes to shove, the script comes out mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. things are done pretty predictably. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. The whole the whole idea about like there is I mean, I have people like some of my 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 training colleagues that I do um, diversity, equity, inclusion trainings with who I've seen that happen too. you know, mm. I've I've I have a couple I have a couple of colleagues who who I have done workshops with all over the place. And. When I'm speaking more and more about bias and racism on on social, mm. they have like they have uh, like blocked me. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Like there, there, there's a couple of us. I'm like, you know what? I haven't seen any posts from this person lately. You know, mm. let me go see what's good. And we're still friends on social, like on Facebook. We're still friends there. Yeah. But I don't see yeah. any of their content, and I can't oh. even find them when I type them in. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. And, and and I know that they're still on social. Yeah. Right. So yeah. so so there. Yeah. There's there's just that script is powerful because the script, you know, the the script isn't partisan, right? So mm-hmm. the script isn't mm-hmm. isn't about. Well, yeah, it's it's not partisan. So so the script is. Mm-hmm. I have this frame. Because of how I've been socialized in this country, I have this frame that has taught me very well how to how to like weaponize my whiteness, and mm-hmm. it's really problematic for women, for white women, because they have also weaponized their white womanhood, and. Mm-hmm. And then I will also, you know, I'll also say this, which might get us down to a whole different thing, Andres. I don't know. But um, so, like I said in the, in the first episode, so I, I research and teach on implicit racial bias. And I do that because for 20 years being in public organizations and in the private sector and then doing trainings and workshops in those areas too. 
what I've noticed in child welfare, what I've noticed mm -hmm. in education, mm -hmm. what I've noticed in mental health, um, those three specifically, but then you can even say arguably real estate and nursing and, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, maybe a couple of other, other fields that are, that are a highly that skew highly po politically left and that are B mm. primarily staffed by women. So what mm. I've noticed and, and what I study because it's, it's this, this weird phenomenon is liberal women, women who identify as Democrat or liberal or progressive seem to be driving some of the worst equity outcomes in our entire society. So, so to put a finer point on that, social workers who are largely women, like um, I got to look at the stat and we'll put it in the, in the show notes, but something like 92 or 93% of social workers identify as liberal and they are largely female and white. Wow. So social work is a white woman's profession by and large, a white liberal woman's profession. Now, within social work, nationally, black kids are significantly more likely to be removed from their home. Mm -hmm. And when they're removed, they're going to be, they're more likely to be placed in foster care versus with a relative or whatever. They're mm -hmm. more likely to be in placement in foster care longer. They're more likely mm -hmm. to have more placements or more moves from home to home or foster home to foster home. And black parents and those uh, black parents of those black kids are more likely mm -hmm. to have significantly like depending on the state, anywhere between three and five times or greater are more likely to have their parental rights terminated. And you have all of that, not because black mm -hmm. kids are or black parents are abusing their mm -hmm. kids more, but you have all of that because of, you know, these implicit assumptions or these behavioral yeah. patterns or yeah. these classist patterns. And it's a combination of both, you know? Yeah. And so you have white women who are primarily in that work, who are creating the, ne the, the negative outcomes. Mm -hmm. And then the system gets to roll and snowball because that also includes judges and guardians ad litem. And it includes right. therapists and it includes all these different things. So, mm -hmm. and so that's another problematic area too. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens when, cause that's, that's a very strong charge. Yeah. I'm trying to look, Think of another word. It is indictment, it's accusation, indictment. A, mm -hmm. There you go. All those words. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I'm a white female social worker, I'm gonna get all types of fragility mm -hmm. right now. Yeah. So what's what's the pushback? Is there any pushback? What's been what's been the experience? Because because I I don't live in that world in the in the yeah. education social mm -hmm. work and and you've 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 done that. Um, because yes, I I can't explain why in education mm -hmm. there's such a gap between and and I hate to just do the black and white thing, but again for simplicity, mm -hmm. yeah, you know why is that gap for white students versus black mm -hmm. students in mm -hmm. education when, like you said, most people in that profession tend to lean, if yeah. anything democratic if, if anything liberal yeah mm -hmm. left right so-called mm -hmm. left right mm -hmm. and you know uh, on paper nothing seems to be improving right yeah well and yeah. and and oh by the way 
parents don't abuse their kids differently along racial lines. Hmm. The rates of abuse are generally the same across race. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so then, so, so, so it's not, so one of the answers is not, well, maybe black parents abuse their kids more or differently or whatever. Right. Generally mm -hmm. speaking, that's not statistically true. Um, but the pushback that I get is typically just the, the, the folding of the arms and mm -hmm. the disengaging from the conversation. So it's, it's all this stuff. It's all this stuff that people like, you know, um, Robin D'Angelo, who does the white fragility book, you know, it's, it's all. So the, the, uh, the primary, like the main utility of that work that she does is it really quantifies and really clarifies and gives language to mm. the behavior that people of color mm -hmm. see from white folks when we have this conversation. Right. Yeah. So she, she didn't invent anything new. She just mm -hmm. clarified it in a way that hadn't been clarified by a lot of people before, except yes. for the fact that a lot of people of color and a lot of us in these justice spaces have been mm -hmm. have been saying this for a long time, too. You know, so but yes, but her work and how she synthesized it and everything is actually really, really good. And so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's that stuff that she does that she describes as white fragility. That's been the pushback, and the pushback comes from right. the whole idea that, um, well, you're calling me a racist, mm -hmm. and I get to define what a racist is. And by my definition of racist, you're calling I'm me something racist. that I'm not, and I'm not racist. Exactly yeah. right. I'm that's not me. Yeah, and yeah. so. And so then you have these, you know, even educated folk who 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 like objective definitions and measures of things still want to personalize what mm -hmm. what racism means, and they want to mm -hmm. personalize it in a way that puts them on the on the good side of it. So mm -hmm. so what I hear from folks, and so before COVID hit, I just finished a round of workshops with the with the the high school in my city or in our city right and so and some of that was uh, also with with some of the administrators of the district and a lot of people a lot of the and they were largely white females but um, in the room but a lot of people felt some kind of way about how i was clarifying what it was to be like what racist was and that kind of stuff so um mm -hmm. the main thing that happens and why why people do that is really, for some reason, progressive folks think they are immune to racist ideas mm -hmm. and they are immune to a racialized socialization, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. that's, I think that's what I think it is. I mean, and there's some other stuff behind that too, but I think by and large, it's this schema that I have in my head of what race is and what racism is. You're bucking up against that in a way that puts me on the wrong side of that. And I don't yeah. like that. And because I don't like that, I'm not so sure I like you either. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, yes. that's the that's the um, frustrating part of of of, of, of this um, conversation is just the fact that, well, first of all, we come with different worldviews, right? So we live in the Midwest, um, and it's majority white state. And majority, majority small towns. Yes. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, we're in Iowa, y'all. Yeah. We're in Iowa. So, <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. Let's just keep so it real. If anybody's wondering if there's, if anyone's wondering if there's 
people of color in Iowa. There you go. There's 11 of us. Yeah. Three of us are on this podcast. Very few. <laughs> yes. right. And we yeah. all know each other. And we all know each other. So if, if you're in, and this is my perception of small town, never lived in a small town. This, this town that I'm in is the smallest town that I've ever lived in. Yes. Mm. And this is wow. what, you know, yes. you yeah. 25 to 50,000 people. This is the smallest mm -hmm. place. Yeah. So if you're in a town where everybody knows their name and can go back generations and you've never really had to interact with people of color and all you get from people of color is what's on your television or yeah. on your mobile phone, then you have a certain worldview about race and racism and what that all means. Mm -hmm. And yes, if you define racism as someone who's evil, mm -hmm. who intentionally hates people of color, or they persecute that person and they do harm to that person, and you're not that person, and you don't know anybody who does that, mm -hmm. then yeah, it, it could be a very frustrating conversation between two right. people that have not defined terms and don't really understand what, what don't really understand how racism has evolved. Mm -hmm. So like the way I like to say it is like in music, mm. when, when a, a, a style of music comes out is very basic at first, take yes. hip hop, take rock and roll. It was basic hip hop, very simple beat, mm -hmm. you know, but as years go by, as decades go, goes by, it gets improved on and it, mm -hmm. and it evolves. Well, yes. same thing with racism. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Simple racism was slavery. Mm -hmm. And then slavery had to go away, was mm -hmm. forced upon <laughs> mm -hmm. by the evil government. And then it started to evolve. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and here we are in 2020 and racism yeah. and I forget where I saw this, read this, heard this, but it's like now it's so in the water that mm -hmm. the system doesn't read the, the system doesn't really need actual racists. Yeah. It, in order to thrive. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. We're to a point where racists can go away and mm -hmm. the system itself now yeah. is, is, uh, perpetuating mm -hmm. uh, the, the the racism itself. Mm -hmm. So and so, just to be clear for the listeners, um, let's clarify really simply what we mean by by racism. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so and so, what we mean by racism is what is is uh, racism is basically a system of economic, legal, political, and social advantage mm -hmm. to white people mm -hmm. based on the false idea of race and the false idea mm -hmm. of like biological race. And so, yeah. and so that's what we mean by racism. We don't, you know, so mm -hmm. we don't mean per people's personal yeah. Personal definitions Prejudice. of racism, prejudices, right? Mm -hmm. So prejudice, yeah. So so prejudice is different than racism. So um, prejudice is a component of racism, 
but mm-hmm. you know so it's in the recipe but part of the part, part of the recipe of racism is you have prejudice so so you have racial prejudice mm-hmm. plus yeah. plus the means to exact economic social systemic and political power then power. that becomes racism and mm-hmm. so and so um but like we talked about too in the last episode about nuance and people's in, in, mm-hmm. inability to grasp nuance Part of this also means this. There are different, even though that's what racism is, mm-hmm. right? So so broad umbrella, racism is the system of white-skinned advantage mm-hmm. that is legal, political, social, and economic, mm-hmm. right? Yes. So poor people aren't, for example, if you're white and poor, or if you're white and you had a hard life, you didn't have a hard life because mm-hmm. you were white. Right. Right. So so you still have skin, skin color advantage. Right. So, um, Mm -hmm. but then, so Mm -hmm. under that big umbrella of racism, then you also really, the nuance is there are a few different types of racism. So, Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. one type, and, and if you think about it from like a building blocks sort of perspective, so one type of racism is this individual racism. What people mm-hmm. generally think of when they think about racism is the individual piece of it, right? You know, um, but even before you get to that building block, the first building block is the internalized racism. Yeah, the first building block is whether or not you have come to believe in the inferiority or superiority of a racial group, mm-hmm. and if you are if you are a person who's come to be called white, what that means is. Everything in society has trained you to believe that white is superior to everything and everybody else. So that so there's an internalized, yes. in, in, there's an inherent internalized superiority in that. And then mm-hmm. part of the victimization and part of the trauma of racism that manifests itself in, in the bodies and the lives and the minds and psyches of people of color is can be this thing about internalized inferiority. Inferiority, yeah. Right, and and mm-hmm. the, and these aren't new concepts. Like if you read, for mm-hmm. example, um, um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, letter from Birmingham Jail, he talks about mm-hmm. the little clouds of inferiority that begin to shape in his daughter's little mental sky. He calls it mm-hmm. because she can't yeah. go to the black or, or to the to, to to the amusement park because it's colored only or white only. Right. Right. And yeah. so, 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 so these aren't new things. So that's the first building mm-hmm. block is this, is this internalized. Uh, and yeah. The, yeah. So there's internalized. And then the second piece of that is the individualized. So who mm-hmm. we are and what we think in our schemas as individuals, then manifests in interpersonal relationships. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. And then, yeah. and then um, those interpersonal relationships and those behaviors, which get repeated personally in our in our personal experiences and they also get repeated in our in our vocational like at work right so then you mm-hmm. have then you have yeah. um then you have let's say you have institutional racism where mm-hmm. where the the repeated codified behaviors over time in your institution become so self-perpetuating that they don't need an individual to do anything because the system mm-hmm. just takes it up and just does it on auto, autopilot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then you have structural racism, which is like the structures, mm-hmm. the structure for how society is set up. Mm-hmm. And so, um, 
that's when we think about racism, what we're thinking about is this, this multi-tiered thing. But what we're also thinking about is racism is an organism. Like it's, it's a shape-shifting organism. Like it, it just, mm. it's almost racism is like water because it, 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 it adapts to obstacles and, and works yeah. around it and just, you know, it, and it becomes a serpentine kind of a thing. And so mm. I fully expect, even in this current moment, mm-hmm. I expect racism to morph. I don't know what it's going to morph into, but it's going mm-hmm. to morph. Set your watch by that. So yeah. when we say racism, yeah. that's what we mean. We don't mean your personal meanness to somebody else or the fact that you didn't call somebody the N-word or you didn't own slaves or you don't hate, you know, this person or that person. That's not what we mean. Mm-hmm. Right. That's so good. And, you know, Andres brought up the question of why is it that even in spaces like education, right? So education, we see a huge, and I don't like this term, but there's this thing of an achievement gap between white students and students of color, specifically white students and African-American students. Although a lot of our teachers are white liberal females, you know, who you would maybe naturally assume would, would, you know, like would find a way to navigate that and perhaps even eliminate the achievement gap. And I think a big part of it is, is racism because part of what racism does, it, it reinforces this idea that white culture is supreme the white educational lens is supreme. White history is history. And so a lot of times what, you know, like what, like what we see is that a lot of white teachers are not able to even teach in a manner that is culturally relevant or culturally sustaining or responsive to the students of color who are in their spaces. Then in, at least in America, we don't have a lot of teachers of color. Yeah. And so I actually have friends who have shared with me that they have never had a teacher of color mm-hmm. ever. That is, that is a huge loss for students of color and for white students to go through your whole education and never have a teacher who looks like you or never have a teacher who does not look like you. Right. And so although we could have teachers who are maybe very well-meaning, they're very committed, they think they, they're doing their best, we already have this undergarding structures and this undergarding um, institutional and structural racism that Abdul talked about. And I mean, like it takes a lot of strength and warfare as a teacher to kind of fight back against that. So Justine, when, mm-hmm. when you have that kind of conversation with someone yeah. who's white mm-hmm. and you bring this up mm-hmm. and I know we haven't gotten to the Christian part of friends yet, Yes. What's what's your experience? Ooh, so are you talking in a general sense? General sense, yeah. General sense. Um, you know, my experience has been that at least for a lot of my white friends, these are not the first conversations that we have. Um, and so there's usually a backdrop of a very strong relationship that allows us to kind of have that trust where we can have these conversations. Um, So I think that helps a lot. Then just the context of my life in terms of my workplace, where I go to church, a lot of white people are very receptive, especially now in 2020. People are gleaning for knowledge. People are open to being challenged. But I have met people, and actually Abdul has seen some of this, but on social media, I've had white people who cannot 
they will not take it. I actually had someone tell me to go back to South Africa and I'm like, I'm not even from South Africa. <laughs> you know, seriously. You know, if they're going to insult you. Right. <laughs> don't yeah, right. Right. Like, don't insult least, me by showing your stupidity. <laughs> exactly and at least get the country right like i'm from kenya you know um but no seriously like i have met people who cannot handle the idea of racism i've actually had people tell me justine stop looking at news that talks about racism that's why you think racism exists (laughs) like there are people there are people who think that the whole idea of racism is propaganda like it's not real there so, are people in today's world, and these are believers, y'all. These are believers. Oh, hmm. Believers in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Straight up. And so, oh, yeah. So I have had, I have had, um, this happened eh, about four, yeah, about four years ago. Um, I, five years ago. So about five years ago, we were living in another community. Um, and you know, we were living, it's a suburban community. You know, we had, it was a nice neighborhood and not all that kind of stuff. Um, and when we moved there, the first, the first couple of days, like our, our kids first day on the school bus, right. Um, because they had seen kids in the neighborhood. There was a kid, a, a kids uh, on my kid's school bus who lived down the block from us told my sons that their dad needs to go back to Africa where he came from. Right. So, I mean, yeah, that, that kind of stuff is just, is just, it happens. It happens all the time. And then, Every day, yeah. and then you have, okay. So, so if you, so they're saying, Tina, if you stop watching stuff that talks about racism, maybe you wouldn't mm-hmm. see it so much. So, right. so uh, I have something to say about that, but I, but I want to ask Andres too, because mm-hmm. Andres, how'd that work out for you? You're just living your life. You're not trying to think about or focus on race. How'd that work out for you? Well, that's 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 a good question uh, because I, actually a, a, a good part of my life has been that way. Hmm. Okay. Um, I came from Puerto Rico and moved to, my mom and I moved to North Carolina and we were just trying to learn the language and trying to get acclimated and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. So my, I haven't had, even in, in Puerto Rico, like I haven't had race conversations hmm. as much yeah. as I've had them here. So I pledged a historically black fraternity. And so I started hanging out in that circle i was hanging out in my puerto rican circle and people from latin american college and then i started hanging you know uh being more in, in more african-american circles and whatnot so go ahead and say it, you know you and, want to <laughs> <laughs> yeah shout out to five beta sigma go mouth hey. Hey. <laughs> um but my thing was just coming from my you know coming from puerto rico and my perspectives like you guys talk a lot about mm. race. Yeah. And that was um, shocking for lack of a better word. I, I, it was mm-hmm. like, like you, <laughs> like you guys are obsessed with race. What's going on mm-hmm. with you guys? Mm-hmm. Like all the time. And, and the system is working against you and you're not getting ahead yeah. because of this. And so, so by the time I got to college, even I understood that had been, I had been disciple in this this 
idea that you work hard, you get ahead, right? You can do it. You know, you can do mm -hmm. it on on your own. This mm -hmm. the skin has nothing to do with mm -hmm. any of it. Like, what are you guys talking about? Mm -hmm. Meritocracy, uh, yeah, yeah. It's just meritocracy. You work hard, you get to the top, mm -hmm. and and you know that's 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 fine. So, I've that was my that was my way of thinking. I've mm -hmm. I've so in this conversation about race, I say it all the time. I'm coming relatively late. Mm. Um, there was a, I, I remember back in college that, well, the way I started thinking about race was that a lot of times at parties or just, just out and about whatever, people would want to make the distinction between African-American and Puerto Rican. Like they would tell me, well, you're not black and this, mm. you're, you're Puerto Rican. Mm. And then what I, <laughs> I like to say that, I would just look down at my hand and said, well, I am black. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like yeah. you can't, you cannot tell if you're looking at me from a distance, you're not going to say that guy is Puerto Rican. Mm. You're going to say that guy is black. Mm -hmm. So the minute I realized that, the, the minute I realized that people are going to see me as black, mm -hmm. I started like beginning to look about like, well, And then putting, going back to how there's a lot of talk about race. Well, like, what is this race thing that yeah. a lot of my first fraternity brothers and just people that I knew who were African-American in general, like, what are you guys talking about? Mm -hmm. So that's how I started this, my uh, learning about yes. race in America and history. And then, I, you know, since, like I mentioned, I, I love to learn. So I just right in mm -hmm. but this race conversation in puerto rico doesn't happen yeah yeah you know because our tradition but we've been told what we are discipled in we have the spaniard and we have the uh, taino and then we have the uh, black heritage mm -hmm. and all those three intermingle mm. and we're the product of that mm. so there's an old saying uh In Puerto Rico, like, y tu abuela donde está? Mm -hmm. Meaning, and where's your grandmother? Like, if somebody's trying to, oh. trying, to trying to up you, yeah. If somebody's trying to up you That's when it comes to race, like, eh, you know, where's your grandmother? Tell me about your, yeah. <laughs> you know, that eventually wow. somewhere, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We're going to get, so we don't have this talk mm. in Puerto Rico. So that's, so when I got to the States, I had no clue. I wasn't looking for it. Yeah. Wasn't, you know, um, So that's that's the that's the interesting thing that I, I, I get. I get how mm -hmm. yeah. someone can mm. have the thinking of, well, Justine, if you don't read about it, if you don't look for it, right. you know, it's not there. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. That yeah. makes sense. Well and I, I, I No, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, like like it would have been very interesting if I could have managed to go through my adult life and not really dug into race, mm. Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. How, yeah. how far mm -hmm. could I have gone without really digging in? Like for my, you know, like lighter skin brothers Puerto and sisters from Puerto Rican, you know, whole mm -hmm. Puerto Rican, you know, can, and, and folks who don't have an accent, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
that yeah. uh, now that I'm thinking, I've never thought about this. You know, that would mm-hmm. be an interesting conversation mm-hmm. with them mm-hmm. as well. Because, like I said, my interest in the conversation was just in the context of being around a lot of African Americans mm-hmm. and the conversation that I kept hearing. Yeah. yeah. But, but a lot of people don't have to go through those conversations. Right. Yeah. No, that's mm-hmm. good. I mean, so I, I tried, like I believed, I believed the myth of meritocracy. I tried to pursue it desperately. Wow. You know, yeah. so I was headed um, when I graduated high school, I was headed to an HBCU and then, yeah. and <laughs> right. And then I decided I love HBCUs. Yeah. I, me too. And I should have gone to one, <laughs> but, but <laughs> I was headed there. And then, and then I, I made a calculation and the calculation was based on two things. So I made a calculation that if I went to an HBCU, would I be prepared, mm. whatever that means, but would I be prepared mm. to really fully interact in a world that did not look like my HBCU, right? So, so if I went, you know, if I, it, you know, I grew up in, if I grew up in black neighborhoods and in black working class neighborhoods, and then I go to a black university and then, you know, what are the odds of me graduating and then get, working for a black owned company or work, right. And just, and staying in my black bubble. Right. So mm-hmm. I thought I would actually be less prepared if I went to an HBCU. And mm-hmm. so then, and so, and so I decided to not, you know, to, to go to a, a, a majority culture, a white institution, right? So that, yeah. that was the first calculation. The second calculation, and this is why, you know, when we, when we talk about what racism is, part of it is mm-hmm. internalized stuff. Yeah, yeah. Part of it, I'm just going to keep it 1,000% real. Part of it was the internalized calculation that I didn't know that I was making until years later that white space was better than black space. Yeah. And so and so when I thought about my HBCU campus and when I thought about this campus here, you know, um, and this campus mm-hmm. looked like the ones that did like the, that were in the movies in the time in the in the 80s that I was watching. Ah. You know, I just I fell in love with it because it looked like the picture I had been shown about what college was supposed mm-hmm. to look like. And Right. Part of that picture and part of that subconscious ethos and part of that, the schema of what college was supposed to be was white mm-hmm. space. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. and so like that, that was a couple of the things that really informed my decision to come here. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't realize that part of my decision to attend this university was internalized racism. And but wow. but I but I really tried to do the meritocracy thing. I really tried to, you know, I mean, t- to get a lot of education. You know, like okay, so the the story they told me, I'm sure you guys heard this too. The story they told me was: you get good grades, you get a good job, you, or, or or you know, you you get good grades to get into a good college. You get into a good co- good college, you get good grades there, you get you'll get a good job. If you get a good job, you have a great life, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and if you work for it, you can earn it. And so yeah. I worked for it and I have, I have a lot of education. I have five degrees. I have a lot of education and, 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 and I have a lot of experience really in really good mm-hmm. top tier experience, you know, in leadership and in mm-hmm. public and private organizations. I worked for it mm-hmm. and I worked for it trying not to focus on race. Yeah. I yeah. worked for it by just trying to be the best person I was in any room I walked into. 
mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so the most qualified, the most skilled, the most knowledgeable, the most this, the most that, right? I really tried to work hard because they told me if you work hard, you're going to get this outcome. And I believe them, whoever the quote they mm-hmm. are, right? But I believed the hype. So I tried to live a life where racism wasn't a factor in it. And whiteness, mm-hmm. this idea that white is better, would not let me. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, and so, like, just as you know, when I started to launch out on my own, for example, you know, I do equity training now. When I started my consulting practice, it was as a business consultant because i had really good experience in the in the private sector with 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 building teams and working for and helping to build a successful private company and mm-hmm. so you know i had a lot of skill at that and i was good at it and then when i launched out on my own as a consultant you know nobody wanted to hire a black business coach now, that wasn't the story in my head. Somebody told me that. Yeah. Right. Somebody who, refer, wow. who, you know, who I was counting on to refer some business to me and that kind of thing told me, you know, um, I, I've had people tell me that I can't see myself working with a black business coach or they don't want to hire you because you're, you know, because you're a black business coach and they, and they can't see that. Right. So, and then there are other examples wow. there, but be, yeah. I tried, I tried to play the meritocracy game. I did it in churches mm-hmm. where let me just, even though I was the minority mm-hmm. in, in, in one of my churches, I was the only mm-hmm. black face for a while. Wow. And I tried to have that not matter in my life. Mm-hmm. And every mm-hmm. time I tried to not to let it not matter, I kept being reminded that it did matter to me. It does matter. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and, and now you know, now that I have pivoted my my practice to do more equity work, I'm mm-hmm. actually turning away business mm-hmm. because wow. because I'm too busy between yeah. you know between this and and this is my like my 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 side hustle passion project right and so which which you know because mm-hmm. I'm a policy guy I want to change policy and to be and to change policy need to be in institutions and so I'm yes. in a, I'm in a public institution now. Right, and I, mm. and, and I and I do also other equity work on the, you know, not on the side, but it, mm. but also part as part of the work that I do, you know. Yeah. But even with all of that, right, I get more business as for for my consulting practice and or for for mm. my for my equity work than I ever did doing business consulting. Even yeah. though I feel like I'm equally skilled at both, you know, it tells you something, yeah. <laughs> And mm-hmm. I not only feel like I'm equally skilled at both, and this isn't a, a brag thing, this is just a receipt. The receipt mm-hmm. is that the people who come to my seminars tell me how much value they got out of it yeah. or, or, the, or the businesses that, that I did help grew mm-hmm. and the teams that I did lead grew. Mm-hmm. The receipts are there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah. racism wouldn't let me not talk mm-hmm. about racism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. yeah, that's that's really good. Yeah. So I'm as I'm listening to the conversation here. I'm I'm curious too about Justine and and your um point of view. Because mm-hmm. how long have you been here? How long have you been in the states? Ten years, y'all. Ten years. Actually, ten and a half. I moved here at the 
on January 8th of 2010. And it's now halfway through 2020. So I've been here oh, wow. for just about one year and a half. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious as to what you have experienced and what, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts mm-hmm. um, in, in this whole conversation and in, in your yeah. experience? Because you've, you've mentioned something mm-hmm. about um, that you learned here. Mm-hmm. about yourself <laughs> yeah so yeah. what was that mm-hmm. you know like that's a that's a good question and actually andres as you were talking and you and you kind of shared how you know like you were in these spaces where people are having conversations about race and racism and you looked on your you know like you looked at your skin and you're like wait but i'm black too mm-hmm. and i grew up never thinking of myself as black i literally just thought of myself as kenyan you know, and anytime I met an American, which was very rarely, I would just think of them as an American. I would never think of them as white, black, Asian, multi-ethnic. They were just American to me. Someone from China would just be Chinese. Like I did not grow up with racial lingo. You know, I did not grow up with, you know, like with, like with all these color codes and, you know, like all these little meanings. I just grew up with I will identify you based on the country that you're from. And right. so I actually, because you asked a very good question, Andres, in terms of how long could you survive as an adult without really having conversations about race and racism? And I wonder the same thing too, because I think to be a black immigrant in this country is to kind of live in a hyphen, you know? I mean, like you're fully aware that you're not African-American, mm. you know? So like I know that I don't have the history of African-Americans. I'm not, you know, like I'm not a descendant of that history. But when people see me, they see a black woman. But what I always wonder, like when people hear my accent or when they hear I'm from Kenya or when they, you know, like try to pronounce my last name and they cannot figure it out, then I wonder what they view me as. Yeah. You know, and honestly, like in my life, in like in my time in America, I know that that has made a humongous difference. I know it has. I know that my experience as an African, like if I was the exact same person, I had the exact same family, I had had the exact same life, but I was an African-American woman, I think my life would be very different. And do you want me to elaborate more on that? Yes, please do. Yes, do. So, um, so here's so here's how I think about it. I think when Americans, specifically white Americans, meet an African American, they already have an idea, right? You, you know, like they have prejudice and they have bias based on what they've been socialized to think of African Americans. And that does dictate to some extent how they interact with that person. Because, you know, like if you've been taught black people are this, African Americans are this, black men are whatever, black women are this way. When you meet a black woman or a black man, like you kind of already have expectations, whatever those expectations are, be they good or bad. But when you meet someone from Kenya, you don't really have a lot of stereotypes, <laughs> you know, because, and seriously, and for me, like, I think the biggest questions that I get are, oh my gosh, you speak English? That's kind of surprising. Mm. And you went to school? That surprises me, but that's it. Like, those are the biggest stereotypes that I, that I encounter. But besides that, people don't really have um, any expectations 
of who I should be. So whatever I am, they're open to that Mm. because they have no expectations of what exactly I should be. But when you are African-American, there are expectations. And if you meet those expectations, you will be treated accordingly. If you don't meet those expectations, you will not be treated in a certain way, you know? Um, And so I think one, one very nuanced experience of being (laughs) an, a black immigrant in America is I like, I personally feel like people don't really stereotype me because they have nothing to stereotype me about, you know, maybe like besides my accent, my name, the food that I eat, my culture. While for African-Americans, like that's obviously not the case. And also in terms of, or I would say even, it seems to me that like they might stereotype you less. I'm not sure if I, if, right. Yeah. If, oh, yeah. I agree yeah. That they don't, mm-hmm. Not at all. But it might. It, it, right. it seems yes. to me, you know, that, that, that they might stereotype you less. Mm-hmm. That, that, that there's. It's not an on-off. Exactly. Stuff. There's, there's some yep. gradations in the middle. I think. Mm-hmm. There yeah, we but go. I, yep. But I think that also depends because if Justine says, "Okay, I'm Kenyan," and then kind of meets these expectations of of America. Yeah. Mm-hmm, it doesn't, right. it doesn't yeah. talk about the race stuff. It doesn't talk yeah. about, it's just mm-hmm. here for, yeah. Whether it's academics or job or just move. There we go. Yeah. Just play yeah. along. Uh-huh. And because, because you weren't born here, then you're given this card that you can, you know, exactly. you're, you're, you're okay. Yeah. Right. You know I mean? There we go. There but we go. If you all of a sudden were, you know, like militant, Mm-hmm. Right, you know, then mm-hmm. then you're put in the other bucket. Right. Yeah. So so yeah. here here's a here's a really quick thing that I want to say that to, to that too. So so while I say what I just said that okay, so mm-hmm. Justin, you may it may be this or that or whatever. I also want to be really conscious and be really cautious, right? To 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 not like to not to not discount your perspective mm-hmm. and your experience and say, well, no, yeah. you're not seeing that. You might be seeing this. You know, so I want to yeah. make sure. So I, I, I don't mean that, and I certainly apologize for that because, because, because that could be a, a gaslight. Yeah, and you know, Abdul, like mm-hmm. that's a because when I um like when I got into grad school, people would ask me, Justine, have you ever experienced racism? And I would say, no, 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 I don't think so. And now looking back, I'm thinking I might have experienced racism and just not known it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you know, like I think like when you're not familiar with all these structures, like you really could be experiencing a lot of things and just not know that you are because you're not familiar. And again, for me, like having been born in Kenya, like I just didn't know how what racism looks like. And now that I look back on my high school experience in America, I'm like, yeah, people definitely said some really hurtful things to me, mm-hmm. but I I didn't think of it as anything, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Then also, so one more thing. I think um again in the context of immigration, I also think there's a I I'm using this word very loosely, but I think there might be a fetishization of anything that is quote unquote I don't want to say exotic, but anything that's foreign, right? So yeah. if you are so if you are black, but you are a non-American black, that is perceived in a very different way, right? Versus if you are an American yes. black, 
Mm-hmm. And even for you, Andres, because I was wondering, like, you know, like maybe when people see you, like they think you're black, but then like when they hear your accent and just, you know, like how you flow and how you say different words, people could be drawn to that. And you're in a you whole know? different bucket um, at that point. Yeah. So boom. And yeah. Yeah. Well, that, and, and that's and that's what that's what I was getting at. That mm-hmm. it depends on how you act within right uh, within in the country. Mm-hmm. You could play it off as you're coming from somewhere else, and you don't know. And if and if your only reference, frame of reference, so from Puerto Rico, from Kenya, is what yeah. you saw in the movies growing up, you're mostly going to see a white experience. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, exactly. You know, yeah. they're not showing when I was, you know, they weren't showing Boys in the Hood. I had to find out about Boys in the Hood, mm. the movie. Wow. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yes. Um, that just doesn't play in movie theaters back mm-hmm. back home yeah so wow. the experience that you're getting about america is a white experience but that's all you know when you come and land mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. yeah so you just act like it because wow. you don't you don't know you don't know any better yeah you don't know any better you you don't so you don't okay so um I don't want to wrap up the podcast without talking about something that we alluded to a couple of times. We haven't, we haven't dove into it. So I want to, I want to spend a little more time diving into it. So we were talking mm-hmm. about discussing racism with our, with our white friends and specifically our white mm-hmm. evangelical friends. And, and so, so church folk. Okay. Yeah. And so, and so we keep saying, mm-hmm. we keep saying evangelical, you know, so listeners, you know, we keep saying evangelical for a couple of reasons. So, so for Andres and I specifically, um, and Justine, you know, you can kind of speak to your experience too. So our, our experience with Christianity has been out of the evangelical movement. So, so the people that had, that discipled us and led us to Christ were people who, who would, you know, by most, by most measures would be classified as evangelical. Um, and, and, you know, they have been obviously problematic because, you know, like it was an 80 or 81%, for example, um, of the people who identifies evangelical uh, voted for uh, president Donald Trump. Right. And which is a whole other we won't even get it. We won't even open that can of worms. But the, mm-hmm. the, 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 the point being is the things we have experienced specifically when talking to church folk. So, so I want to speak mm-hmm. to that, you know, kind of more yeah. too. Yeah. So this is uh, an interesting subject to, to say the least, because my, my experience has been that, there's so much history that is not taught that see the, the real problem is that when we start having these conversations with our brothers and uh, brothers and sisters in, in Christ, I'm assuming that they know some stuff that really they really don't know. Mm-hmm. So for for a long time now, I've been in a place of I need to show some grace because there's a certain amount of ignorance with um certain amount of ignorance that is shown when 
when when having these conversations about 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 race this frustration is just the ignorance like how how can you not know how can you not know part of your own country's history how can you have done so so long without without knowing my second frustration is that i don't understand why you're surprised when you're a professing christian and your 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 actions tell me that you're okay that you're indifferent your actions and what i mean actions is the indifference that you're not hearing voices that are telling you that certain things are happening and the the one response that i i, I think i just hate the most is that this is not the, this is not the gospel like that this is not an issue for the church to deal with and just let that sit for a second there are issues that some people believe that there are issues that the church should not be involved in mm-hmm. but profess to follow a god that wants to be intimate with you mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. so you can't have it both ways yeah nope if there's a chorus of people telling you about a certain situation and this chorus has been saying pretty much the same thing for decades and mm-hmm. not just decades for centuries mm-hmm. and you know about it and your response is i'm not going to do anything because i'm not supposed to do anything about it there's there's a certain part about the gospel that and like i said i'm not a theologian i didn't go to seminary i i just i'm 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 floored as to how some of my brothers and sisters can just be in a position that they can just turn it off uh what are the things that i've been listening in, in this season in this 2020s that i'm hearing a lot of brothers and sisters saying that i'm listening mm. okay and i've 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 i see that you see it in social media and all these pastors and others yeah. you know like oh i'm i'm listening and i'm listening <laughs> and i'm like mm-hmm. that's okay first of all that's great that you are listening listening's better than not listening <laughs> but how can you have how can you it's 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 awesome that you're now choosing to listen right yeah so if you're listening When, now why haven't you been listening before yeah mm-hmm. like what, what stopped you from listening well, right mm-hmm. what what changed what mm-hmm. you know the unfortunate m- mm-hmm. one more murder was that was mm-hmm. that right another black man's body was that the straw uh-huh that broke <laughs> i mean how how many how many mm. and for how long and yeah. and how could you have been okay and I, 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 yeah. i know they wouldn't say they yeah. they were okay but how can you how can you have gone back to everyday life four years ago yeah I, you know yeah. four years ago when we were having yeah. this very In same conversation yeah. And I know that four years before that, people were having the same conversation. Mm-hmm. And four years before that, and four years <laughs> right. before that, the co- the the fundamentals yeah. of the conversation yeah. have not changed mm-hmm. in centuries. Right. No, that's really good. 
Yes. From 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 even a Christian mm-hmm. perspective. Yes. There the were conversation. There were abolitionists yeah. in the 1600s in America yeah. telling people what you're doing is wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. From a biblical perspective, yeah. what you're doing is wrong. Yeah. So this is yeah. not a new conversation. Yeah. Right. Well, and and this is yeah. well, and this is part of the at least for me, this is part of the hypocrisy of what it means to be a Christian. Or, or, or this is part of this is part of the hypocrisy of how Christians practice Christianity. To be more specific about that, okay? Mm. So, because because part of that. Oh, who wants to talk about that? No, no. I was saying, let's be more specific about that. Okay. Well, for me, right? So, so yeah. So, mm-hmm. so, so this isn't about the hypocrisy of Christianity. It's about the hypocrisy of how Christians practice Christianity. Yes. And so, and so, like one mm-hmm. of those one of those ways. Is that while on the one hand, we don't want to talk about social justice, we do want to talk about social justice when it suits us. Right. And and here's and, and the reality is, you know, that the the evangelical church has been some of the most, let's say, ardent social justice warriors, mm. you know, and 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 here's what I mean. So first off, you know, let's 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 clarify what we mean by evangelical because it's not just some nebulous term, right? Um, so what we mean when we say, at least what I mean, and I think Andres does too, what we mean when we say evangelical, and in general, the national conversation around evangelicalism vis-a-vis social justice and racial justice and reconciliation generally means the same thing. So what we don't mean is all Christians, right? So the mainline denominations of Methodist and Lutheran and, and the, like there's, there's some different things happening there, but that's not my tradition. So I, I don't really have, you know, I don't have a lot to speak on there, but for evangelical, what we mean is this kind of um, this, this offshoot of, of this kind of new school offshoot of Protestantism, right. That, that really kind of follows, follows more, you know, like say John Calvin rather than Martin Luther, right? And so, um, and stresses the concept of being of being born again, and stresses the concept of having this personal conversion experience. Okay, so so people, so let's say, so for the sake of this conversation, um, a born again Christian would be synonymous with an evangelical. Mm-hmm. Okay, and 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 the whole idea that um, the Bible itself, the word, the physical words in the Bible itself um, is the sole basis for faith and teaching and discipleship and that kind of thing um, versus, you know, kind of just, you know, faith or um, experiencing the Holy Spirit and that kind of thing. It's more focused on just kind of the, the sola scriptura, mm. right? Um, and then, and then also, you know, kind of evangelicalism is kind of the idea, um, the idea of winning souls for Christ. Yeah. You know, kind of this um, seeing and connecting with people who don't know, you know, who, who or the language we, th- that was used is people who don't know God or unreached people groups and that kind of stuff and kind of winning souls for Christ. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and this, and this, and this focus on um, this personal Christian growth, mm-hmm. right. For evangelicals, the personal experience with God is really, really important mm-hmm. to the detriment of the communal in, in many ways. And yeah. so, um, and so, and it's this, 
you know, like I said, it's this focus. So for example, the, the way that I was taught and I'm, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to call myself an armchair theologian. <laughs> so, so mainly because as a, as a Bible teacher and as a pastor in churches, I've had to teach and know and grow and whatever the stuff. And I was also just, I had the good fortune to be discipled by some guys who just, who were seminarians and who were like Bible college graduates and, and, and who walked through with me in a systematic way how to study the scriptures and, and, and theological themes and, you know, Hebrew and Greek and all this other kind of stuff who walked with me in a systematic way, basically kind of a life on life seminary. And so, and so while I didn't go to formal seminary, you know, for example, I had one guy who, who really over the course of years walked with me through his actual seminary curriculum. Wow. So, so, so I, you know, I'm going to say, I got the certificate, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, um, but but like, here's the thing that we learned, right? And so this idea of like five point Calvinism, and the whole idea. So, so for those of you who are not Christian and that's not your tradition, if you're listening, I want you to stick with it because we're almost done with this. Um, but it's the idea. So, so tulip be an acronym: T U L I P. So. Um, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. Mm. And what that means is, you know, so T being the total depravity and the inherent sin nature of humankind, of mankind. Mm-hmm. Um, the U is the unconditional election or the, the, the idea that God elects those or chooses those that are to receive salvation um, rather than it being their own personal work or effort, mm-hmm. right? And then limited atonement is the L in tulip, or the idea that Christ died for sins basically once and for all, and that um, only those that are called elect, so it's limited atonement. So the atonement is limited to those who God calls elect and who God predestined. And then the idea of irresistible grace or the idea that God's work in your life is specifically to accomplish the goal of your salvation. And so, um, and so that's, so God draws you to himself. That, that's what the, the irresistible grace is. Like you, like you literally can't resist it because it's God doing all the work. Right. And then yes. the last idea of the P of the perseverance of the saints um, is the idea that that once a person is truly born again, they can never lose their salvation. Mm-hmm. So in my circles and, 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 and so that's that's, for example, that's called reform theology, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so in my circles, that's so what it meant to be an evangelical really meant to kind of hold to all of those, those, those tenets and the idea of winning souls, Christ, like I said. And so the, the goofy part about all this, right. Is that, and like I said before, evangelicals were kind of the, maybe the, the best social justice warriors, mm-hmm. because here's what they did. If you look throughout American history, those who have come to be called evangelicals have been at the forefront of some really major movements. The private school movement, which was a response mm. to desegregation, um, a response to desegregation, exactly right. And so evangelicals started these freedom schools because they didn't want to comply with the desegregation order of the Supreme Court, you know, in Brown one or Brown two, mm. right? And so and so that's what they so so 
you know, if you're listening and you have a Christian school or your kids go to a Christian school, what I want you to do is I want you to examine your Christianity in the lived experience of how you live it in the same way that you say you value proper hermeneutics and biblical exposition and proper exegesis. I want you to exegete why you go to why your kids go to Christian school and why there is even the existence of a Christian school mm-hmm. because it came out of, you know, so the the foundation of the American Christian school um, um, movement mm-hmm. specifically has racist origins. Mm. So, so then they morphed, right? So first it was it was civil rights, and then it was an anti-feminist, mm. and you know then it was, um, uh, you know, so so the anti-feminist thing was a whole idea of recovering and restoring biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. Mm-hmm. And then there was the morphing of the Christians in the whole law and order bit in the seventies under Richard Nixon and some mm-hmm. of that kind of stuff. And then later, later, you know, later in the eighties with, with, with president Reagan and, and then the whole idea of, you know, kind of, uh, of, of Roe v. Wade. Wow. And, you know, yeah. now the new, the new battlefront for evangelicals is all that stuff still it's, it's never, it's never far. And then, you know, having, having conservative justices on the Supreme court to uphold traditional Christian values and to uphold religious freedom and, and all that kind of mm-hmm. thing. So, so the, these are the values that for me in reformed churches and being a leader and an elder and a worship leader and pastoring in those kind of churches, those were the values that were always, always, always present. Mm-hmm. What's absent is mm-hmm. race. And when you start talking about race, what I have personally experienced was great consternation and social withdrawal. Or, or actually, no, let's not even keep it to me because this is not just personal experience. This is what's happening to believers in these church spaces. There's personal withdrawal. There is, you know, being called a heretic or this or that. There is losing ministry funding, losing ministry opportunity. There is there is losing friendships and relationships. And, you know, so right now, I don't really have, this is a personal example, I don't have really any ex- any any friendships, maybe a few, but I don't have any any friendships anymore with the people that I labored in the trenches with in church planting and in worship stuff mm-hmm. over the last two plus decades. None of those folks wow. are my friends now. And mm-hmm. most of it is not because of I withdrew from them. Mm-hmm. They withdrew from me. Mm-hmm. So, so the, the, what's happened to me and what's happened to so many believers of color in evangelical spaces is when you start saying, wait a minute, God made me who I am. And oh yeah, there's this thing called Mm -hmm. oppression and racism and everything. And I see that and notice that Mm -hmm. differently. And I believe we should be using the scriptures to talk about it. When we do Mm -hmm. that, we get consequence. Like we get, we get massive consequence. Yeah. White lash. White lash. Yeah. That's the, that's the frustrating part about, about this is that, like I said before, and it's just, I, I don't understand how we can read the same book. I know. And I'm talking about the Bible and come to a different conclusion. Uh, yeah. It's, right. it's, it's so strange. And you know, 
Micah, Micah 6 verse 8, Isaiah chapter 1 makes it very clear. I have shown you what I require to seek justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You know, and I just, I think, uh, maybe like Abdul said earlier on, our worldview a lot of times will impact even maybe how we read the Bible and how we we interpret the Bible because to me, it's very plain that God is saying to seek justice. It's, it's not a social justice. Mm-hmm. It is a God justice. Racial justice is a God justice, you and, know, and, um, and yeah. God, and God cares about oppression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's not just that, it's that the very, you know, Abdul and I have had this conversation, the very nature of God mm-hmm. yeah. is justice. Yeah. The we, gospel we is yes. about justice. Yeah. We wouldn't yes. have, his grace, we wouldn't have his mercy. Mm, like, okay, mm-hmm. let me say it another way. Yes. We have his grace because of his justice, not in spite of it. Yeah. Yeah. He, you know, it's like it's he can't help himself. <laughs> you know, right. You know, yeah. right. And this this whole <laughs> so, uh, thing that we're doing here, uh, it's, it's just reclaiming what we lost, and, and but it's just yeah. reconciliation. It's just a fancy word for justice, you know. It's, mm, this is this mm. is wrong, and we're here to make it right. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, okay. So, and and so for me, two things about that. One, I don't believe in racial mm-hmm. reconciliation, and and I and I don't. And the reason why I don't believe in it is because because um, and this isn't an original idea. It's just you know, anybody who's paying attention knows this, and a lot of people have talked about it in you know speeches and whatever books and whatever, but. The idea that we that we need to have reconciliation between mm-hmm. the races assumes that that we were ever consiled or together mm-hmm. to begin with. Mm-hmm. So so we need to have racial conciliation. Mm-hmm. We we need to we've never been together in mm-hmm. that way. So we need to come together for the mm-hmm. first time. Right. And so so I yeah I mean I mean so that's 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 my thought on that. And then you know the uh, the other piece of that is that yeah that we are. You know, and I've said before, and I think I maybe even alluded to this in the first episode, that Christians should be the ultimate jihadists. And so mm. for me, as a Muslim, growing up Muslim, you know, what people think when they think about jihad is the idea of holy war. Mm. And so jihad only means holy war, right? Which, again, is a very simplistic definition and lacks nuance. But mm. the notion of jihad as understood by Islam. So let's again, let's go back to, you know, for you church folk, let's go back to our our proper um, uh, hermeneutics and exegesis, <laughs> you know. So that idea really means so jihad is the defense of the holiness and the justice of mm. God. Mm. <laughs> that's you know, if, if you were to kind of transliterate it, that's what mm. it means. So what we're talking about is the great commandment yeah. stuff. Yeah. So Jesus comes in and says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love and love your neighbor, your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, and 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 the first commandment being, you know, um, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before mm-hmm. me. So Christians who say we believe we have the truth, which I completely do. And, you know, I'm not going to get into like a religious debate about what's truth over here for, for non-believers or Buddhists or this, or whatever. It doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, because for me, what matters is my, is, is, is my faith and my understanding of, of, of the fact that, that it's not for me 
to impose my humanity on somebody else, mm-hmm. whether that humanity is their religious system or lack thereof or, or not. It's just my social location. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and so and so Christians should be the ultimate jihadists and the ultimate social justice mm-hmm. warriors because they're the ones if they say like evangelicalism wants to win souls for Christ, because if you if you stack rank all these systems, Christians say that, that we're the one who has the, the only game in town. The rest of y'all are just sleeping and stupid, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know then if that's the case, you should be fighting harder yeah. for the holiness and the defense of the justice of the God you say mm-hmm. and you claim to serve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that to me is, is, is the really hard thing is that, okay, now you only want to fight for social justice if it's for the rights of unborn babies. Mm-hmm. Yep. Or human trafficking, you know? sex trafficking, adoption. Yes. Yeah, that's it. Yes. That's the, we won't even get into all these white folks adopting black babies right. and African babies. <laughs> but hmm. um, that's the thing. I've said this a, a few times now, and I've had this thought that a lot of Christians are already talking social justice. It's just mm-hmm. right. They, they are. They don't want to say. They don't want to yeah, say. They're, they're already there, right? They don't want to say yeah. just because the yeah. term has been deemed political. Well, social Correct. justice first. It's mm-hmm. first of all, it's redundant. Yeah. Biblical mm-hmm. justice is redundant. Oh, yeah. it's, just, Bingo. it's just justice. Yeah. Is justice. something is wrong and we're here yeah. to, to partner up and make things right. Right. Mm-hmm. So the language right. is already really there. And, and the analogy yeah, is, yeah. is the game Mad Gap. Right. Mm-hmm. If, you're from, if you're not familiar with the game, <laughs> the whole point is you pair up in teams and you have friends that have a card with a phrase in it. And their job mm-hmm. is to coach you into saying it right. Another card, yes. I think I believe that it's, it's how it goes, but you have a card that has the same phrase, but it's written phonetically. It's not written out like you would read it. So you mm. st- so mm. it's yeah. trying to play with your brain and how it reads and, mm-hmm. and how we, we, we learn. So the mm-hmm. phrase is written phonetically. You start to read it, but you don't understand what you're saying. And the goal is for your friends to help you wow. get to the phrase and you only get the point when and you realize what you're saying. Ah. You could be saying it. Everybody else, everybody else but you knows what you're mm-hmm. supposed to. Uh, uh, a lot of people, they're already saying it. You just don't realize yes. that they're saying it. So They're there. Right. So that reminds me. That reminds me of. Um, so I'm a, I'm a massive Prince fan, right? It reminds me of a scene in Under the Cherry Moon. You were one of the five people that saw that. So movie. it's, you know, it's, yeah. Hey, uh, really? Is that what we're doing right now? I'm sorry. <laughs> You're going to diss my uh, man's like that? <laughs> so, yeah. You better back off the P. I'm tell you what. <laughs> so, but anyway, no, there's a scene. It, it, it's a mad gap scene, right? There's a scene in Under the Cherry Moon where... There in this restaurant is Prince, Jerome Benton, and Kristen Scott Thomas, that the white actress or whatever. And she's this French dilettante, right? Debutante. And they're trying to give her some soul. And so and so and so and so Prince writes down this phrase on a napkin and looks and, and hands it to Jerome. And him and Jerome just bust out laughing. And she doesn't get the joke. She's like, what are y'all laughing at? What are y'all la-? you know? And so and so like she's trying to read the like read the word and she can't get it. And so they're just mm-hmm. busting up. And so and so what he wrote on the on the on the on the piece of paper basically was W R K A. Wow, yeah. S T O W. Two words. W R K A S T O W. 
and trying to give her some soul, right? And so she's looking at it, and, and, so, she's, and, so, and so he goes, here, let's read this so we can see how, how smart you are. And she goes, recall stove. <laughs> and they just bust out laughing, right? And so, and so now she's getting mad about it. And so then, <laughs> so, so then Prince gives her the joke and says, okay, so if you wanted to buy a Sam Cooke album, where would you go? Right. The record store. Or the record store. So so it's, it's it's one of those mad lib things of, yeah, like you see things from your perspective, but mm. it takes another perspective to interpret it correctly. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's so good. And you know, some like something else that I was thinking um that sometimes can be a barrier when talking to white people about racism is a lot of times we come from a different backdrop of truth, you know? So a lot of white believers have a very romanticized idea of America, American Mm. history and slavery. Say it. Like I know some people who say that, but slave masters loved their slaves. They loved their slaves, you know? And like, they, they really, really truly believe that. And for African-Americans, if you love something, you set it free. Right, if you loved your slave, you would set them free. Yeah, but remember, remember mm-hmm. also the the yeah. Remember the context of though. I mean, I love my iPhone. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> well, and you so <laughs> mm. property. Right. You know what I mean? I, right. You know. I, yeah. The iPhone. Mm-hmm. I love the house that I live in. I love the car Bingo. that I have. Mm-hmm. You know. Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. I don't like equate. Maker, I don't, yes. you know. That's right. right. I don't put any of those stuff at my level mm-hmm. as a human. Right. Mm-hmm. There we go. Yep. There we go. Yep. Yep. And you protect your stuff because you love it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Which is also why they call it. It's not just slavery because every culture on the planet since the beginning of time has had slavery in some form or fashion. Yeah, we call it chattel, chattel, chattel slavery, slavery or property-based yeah. slavery. Yeah, property-based. Right. Right. So property-based yes. in the same way that you would have a horse or a cattle mm. or an mm-hmm. oxen as property. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So they also loved their favorite milking cow. Right. And they wow. loved their favorite pack mule. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right now, mm-hmm. unfortunately, they also loved the enslaved women a little bit too much. <laughs> they did. Let's just keep it. Let's keep yeah. it funky. That yeah. hey, so so yeah, there was a whole lot of there was a whole lot of abuse and rape and and violence, sexual violence happening there too. Mm-hmm. Which right, you know, you commit all that sexual violence on someone who you, who you do not deem to be fully human. On the one hand, is not unusual. How messed up? Yeah. God. So on the one hand, that's not on you. On the other hand, it's completely it's completely usual, right? So it's both unusual and and unusual. Uh, and, and here's why: because in general, to murder something, to kill another human being, you have to also dehumanize it. It's less than in some respect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so. You know, whether whether you are a person like a, an enslaver or whether mm-hmm. you are somebody who's committing murder and discrimination or, or whether you are, you know, whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. You have to dehumanize. Yeah. To kill. Yeah. Which yeah. is which is and, and the same thing even for for soldiers. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So like let's just like, for example, the 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 Vietnam War. Right, the Vietnamese were called what? They were called they were called derogatory yeah, names. Let's just keep it like mm. that, you know. 
Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah let's keep it like that, right? Mm-hmm. So, so they were called derogatory names. Yep. Um, the Japanese were called derogatory yeah. names when we were in a war against them. The yeah. Germans were called derogatory names when we were fighting against them. Yeah. You know, the 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 red coats or whatever were, were derogatory names we're fighting yeah. against them. Mm-hmm. You know, nowadays in the in the war on terror, you know, um, Arab folks and Arab, yeah. and, and Arab American folks are also called derogatory names. Yeah. You know, and you go to Rwanda and the Rwandan genocide. Mm-hmm. You know, there there was dehumanization that had to happen. Mm-hmm. For for the Hutu and the Tutsi, or the the the, the Tutsi to slaughter the Hutu, or did I get that backwards? Yeah, you know. So so like you have to dehumanize something to treat it atrociously. Right. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing that I was along the same vein um, that I, I think we've all seen images of when we have the lynching and that there's a mob of people or there's a group of people yes. around the yes. dead bat, mm-hmm. the dead body hanging mm-hmm. on the, on the noose, mm-hmm. right? And my thinking is those folks who are witnessing that, mm-hmm. they went to dinner after that. After that? They went mm-hmm. to work, then went to church, and that was that was Tuesday. And I'm also so yeah. now I'm thinking about wow, yeah. The the George Floyd video. Mm-hmm. And some mm-hmm. folks, white folks, saw mm-hmm. that video, saw that Eight minutes, mm-hmm. 46 seconds of the video. And went to work. And went to work. Uh, and they went to school. And some went to church. That's powerful. Mm-hmm. Mm. Here's the last piece oh, about Lord. church. Some folks went to church. Let that hang for no, a second. On. Some hang. folks went to church. Hang on. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put an exclamation point with that one. Some folks went to church and their pastor said nothing. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I mean, mm-hmm. how do you do that? Mm-hmm. How do you do that? And, and we think that back then, that mob of people looking at the uh, deceased body hanging on a, a noose, mm-hmm. like those folks were weird. And those folks mm-hmm. are different. And how could they? Mm-hmm. We just did And it, wicked and evil. Right. Yeah. But we just did it a month ago. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really powerful, bro. That's really that's really went good. to school, went to church, yeah. and didn't hear from our pastors. Yeah. Anything. Oh my gosh. Oh. Yes. And the and the dehumanization of 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 a body, a human body, a black man was still an abstraction. Right. Mm. And an abstraction that could be ignored. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's heavy. That's heavy. You know what I mean? I mean, mm-hmm. that, I was just I was just thinking about that fairly recent. Um, so, mm. well, we need to start wrapping up. Um, we can talk about this. <laughs> yes, Again, we do. These conversations that can go into the wee hours of the night if we were just hanging out Literally, in somebody's I yeah. mean, living room. But yes. for, for this sake, for the podcast sake. So I had a question uh, for the for you guys is in light of this conversation in light of Mm. what we talked about and what we know Mm -hmm. brian stevenson says that hope is our superpower in his in his book um are we are we hopeful do we still have hope 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 for our white friends (laughs) Mm -hmm. that those that that those Mm -hmm. just for the conversation in general 
I mean, mm-hmm. are we are we hopeful? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say, and for the three of us, kind of, we know a lot of white people, or at least I'm going to speak for myself. I know, I don't want to say a lot, but I know quite a good number of white believers who are, they are in the game, right? Um, I was listening to Latasha Morrison and she said, like she made a statement that has really just stuck with me. And she said, sympathy stands on the sidelines and says, I'm sorry. Empathy gets in the game. I personally know white believers who are getting in the game or they have been in the game for years and yeah. they are hungry. They are desperate. They are, they are paying some very heavy costs, right? In order to see racial justice come alive. And so because of those people, not only am I grateful, I have hope. I have hope that if some white people can get it, if some white believers, some white pastors, some white mothers and fathers and educators can get it, I think a lot more white people can get it too. It's a struggle. It takes a lot of patience, but I, but I have hope. I have hope. Hmm. Um, yeah, that one is, is, a, is, is complicated for me because honestly, part of my default wants to say, no, I don't, I don't have hope. You know, I don't have hope because because we have now seen what we see in this country for Mm. almost half of a millennia. Mm -hmm. And so on the one hand, I don't I I I don't have hope. On the other hand, you know, I'm 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 kind of kind of tepid. I'm I'm looking at okay, so Mm. this current moment is really pregnant with a lot of possibility and a lot of hope. Mm And so I'm honestly kind of waiting hmm. for culture on mass to go, okay, we're done. Mm-hmm. What's next? Mm-hmm. We're done talking about this stuff now. What's next? Mm-hmm. Right. So on the one hand, so, so, but then, but then I also, you know, quite frankly, I couldn't do, mm-hmm. I couldn't do the work that I do mm-hmm. without a deep abiding sense of hope. And, and, and so I think what I hope in and what gives me hope is, and this is what I would agree with you here, Justine, is that, yeah, we have, we have mm-hmm. friends who are holding the space with us yeah and, and, you know, so there's hope that somebody mm-hmm. is listening. Yeah. Even to start this podcast mm-hmm. in this moment yeah. is an example of how much hope we have mm-hmm. that hope that, that, it will bless the people who hear it and hope that it would cause some folks who are on the sidelines to get in the game mm-hmm. and some hope that it will cause spectators to mm-hmm. get on the sideline and then yeah. get in the game. Right, right. You know, and 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 for those folks to go get the folks who are outside the stadium. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> right. So yes. so I think I think I do I do have hope, but I think there's also a real sense of soul tiredness Mm, mm, mm. and so you know i think every day i look for places to have my spirit and my soul refreshed yeah yeah so how about you bro before we sign off do you have hope i do have hope um (laughs) i I agree with brian stevenson uh it is the superpower is is like you said abdul it's the only thing that keeps you Going forward is the mm-hmm. only thing that, uh, when you get up in the morning and and do what you need to do, it's it's a, it's everything. Um, mm-hmm. 
I mean, what's the alternative? I the alternative is so I'll just say this is bleak and violent. Right. That's the thing. That's that's a, exactly like thing. the the alternative it's is dark. It's 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 really dark. The alternative is dark. Yeah. It really is. Uh, yes, it really I is. Mean, and, and again, I mean, like we said, we can keep going about this, but my my final words are this: it's one of the greatest miracles that's happened in the context of the United States mm. is that the enslaved African regardless mm. of everything that was done to them still mm. believe what was in the main thesis of the slaveholders bible and mm. they passed mm. and they passed that belief yeah. down from one generation yeah. to another to one generation to another with hope that mm. the next generation would benefit from what was in that book because mm -hmm. They had every single reason to not believe yeah. what's in the book. Yeah. Yeah. No reason at all. Mm. Yeah. That's good. That's good. It's powerful. On that note, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for sticking in with us. This was actually a kind of a long one. So we will try mm -hmm. to not have really long episodes like this because we know you guys have other things to do. <laughs> and, and so, but next time, what we're going to talk about next time is um, basically if you're in a space, whether it's a church space or a workspace or whatever, how do you know if it's time to leave that space and how do you do so healthy? So mm. that's what's going to be on the next one. And so thank you guys so much for tuning in and for, for Andres and for Justine. I am Abdullah and we have, thank you guys for listening to the Christian soldier podcast. And until next time, y'all keep the faith, keep the faith, peace, Bus. bye. The Christian Soldier Podcast is brought to you by the Christian Soldier Collective, a Jesus-centered community dedicated to the pursuit of unity, cultural and ethnic conciliation, and social justice within the church. The Christian Soldier Podcast is a production of the Christian Soldier Collective and Monarch Training and Development. 